Hi, and welcome to episode number 31 of the Crypto Chick Podcast, your inside resource for the latest blockchain and crypto trends. I'm your host, the Crypto Chick, Rachel Wolfson. Today, I'm interviewing Don Tapscott, global speaker, best-selling author, and executive chairman of the Blockchain Research Institute. In this interview, Don explains how blockchain might be able to help solve problems in the age of the coronavirus. Don also goes into detail about the promise of blockchain, the reality, and what's in store for the future. Let's get right to my interview with Don. Enjoy. Okay, great. So today I'm here with Don Tapscott. Don, how are you? Well, given the circumstances, I'm fine. Right. Well, well, before we talk about the pandemic that we're in and coronavirus, let's first discuss your background. Um, just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, well, gee, I'm a legend in my mind. Um, <laughs> maybe not in your listeners, but um, I started doing research about the digital age unbelievably in 1978 after I'd graduated and I was working at Canada's Bell Labs and we had this crazy idea that everyone would use a computer because back then the only people who used computers were programmers and that computers would become communications tools and they would transform professional managerial work and they would transform business models. And so I wrote a, uh, wrote a book about that in 1982 and another one in 85 that nobody read. I think my mother bought most of the copies. Uh, but I wrote my first bestsellers in the early 90s, uh, Paradigm Shift uh, in 92. It was obviously a big book. And The Digital Economy in 94 was the first bestseller about the web and business. Back then, I created a think tank that does syndicated research. And over the years, we've been investigating many of the big topics. And that's also led to a bunch of big books. Uh, Growing Up Digital was the first book about the millennials, a big bestseller. Uh, 95, I wrote a, a widely read book about privacy. In 2000, I wrote a book called Digital Capital that was a great book, but it had a problem. Uh, it, the reviews were spectacular. Uh, Business Week I gave the best review I've ever read of, of any book. It's called the book Pure Enlightenment. But the book came out the month NASDAQ crashed could have done a lot better. And, you know, there have been a bunch of others, Wikonomics. Um, and, uh, of course, my most recent book with my son Alex is Blockchain Revolution. So um, that's a bit about my professional background. I, I, uh, I've been called a futurist. I'm not. Uh, I'm of the school that the future is not something to be predicted. It's something to be achieved. And um, if anything, I think of myself as a researcher, uh, maybe an educator and a change agent. Right. And you're also the executive director of the University Blockchain Research Institute, correct? Yeah, it's called the Blockchain Research Institute. Um, it is affiliated, um, our founding academic partners, INSEAD, uh, Business School in France. Uh, what is mm -hmm. it? Two business school in the world, according to the FT. But... Um, yeah, we're doing uh, 110 projects on blockchain use cases and also uh, on all of the many issues of stewarding this re uh, resource and the issues of transformation, sort of making change happen. And uh, the Blockchain Research Institute has a number of uh, 
businesses, uh, the research business. We've also launched an events business. Because of COVID-19, we canceled our April event, or we postponed it. And it'll be happening uh, in Toronto, October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Uh, we also have an online education uh, program through Coursera, and um, they've given us an exclusive on blockchain in the enterprise and for business. And we've got now eight courses, and they're highly rated, and a lot of people are taking them. And we have a new book publishing business as well. First book just came out. It's called The Financial Services Revolution, um, uh, edited and with the major writing by Alex Tapscott. And in a month, uh, our second book comes out called The Supply Chain Revolution, and we're producing a book every quarter. So uh, we've got a lot going on here, and thankfully, it's a highly networked uh, business model. The only thing that relies on face-to-face -face communication is our big event. And um, that's the one kind of hit we took. We did have to postpone that event. But everything else, uh, we're uh, charging ahead, guns blazing, keeping this party going. Right. And I mean, so you mentioned a few interesting things, which will lead me into my next question for you. So you mentioned you have a, a book coming out about supply chain. You also mentioned the coronavirus situation that's going on right now in enterprise blockchain. Sure. So I want to get your thoughts on uh, blockchain and pandemics. Um, how can blockchain be applied and, and can it be applied in the situation that we're in with COVID-19? Well, it turns out absolutely. We have a project on this now, and uh, we're doing a lot of thinking and work about it. And let's start with supply chain, because that's a big one. You know, in addition to the horrific loss of life and the devastation to the global economy and the, I don't know, terror to the world's population, the pandemic also has revealed some big problems in our uh, supply chains. And um, and this is a lot more than just manufacturers scrambling unsuccessfully for uh, new suppliers when their Asian sources shut down, but rather um, the whole Western world kind of saw across-the-board shortages in consumer goods it's for the first time in decades. I'm thinking 1972 there were uh, gas and oil shortages. but um, And, of course, what, what was going on is that the virus caused fear that resulted in some antisocial behavior, uh, most notably hoarding. And uh, people uh, watched their screens uh, in shock. I don't know if you were doing this, but I was, is all these frightened people sort of jammed supermarkets to clear the shelves, uh, you know, everything from hand sanitizer to toilet paper. What's with this whole toilet paper thing anyway? Uh, you know, people feeling they need three years supply of toilet paper. So yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> you know, I heard a uh, the equivalent of Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. A wealthy person said to me, well, let them use bidets. Anyway, um, so and then you had all this unscrupulous, you know, behavior from entrepreneurs uh, buying up the whole, you know, market of stuff like uh, sanitizer and then selling them at exorbitant prices. So exorbitant prices. So how could blockchain help with that? Well, um, you know, the supply chain is a $50 trillion global industry. And that's the, 
It's the foundation of not just commerce, but our, our economy. And if you got it, it came from a supply chain. And if you don't have it, or if you can't get it, the supply chain let you down. So, um, and, you know, over the years, we've had all these technologies being applied to improving supply chains, ERP, EDI, electronic data interchange, all kinds of standards. And, but there's still, you know, all, all these big problems. You think about it, these supply chains uh, are complex. you got all kinds of manufacturers uh, creating components of goods that move through uh, trucks and bit, uh, planes and boats and, and trains and managing um, all these parties um, and, and, and things communicating. And, uh, you know, there, there's this Byzantine sort of network of computer systems and they got all kinds of different applications and there's emails and faxes and paper flying around and phone calls and uh, you got invoices and letters of credit and bank guarantees and, I don't know, you know, tax forms, uh, bills of lading, receipts, all kinds of documents uh, um, in, in this uh, labyrinth, really. And payments are done through a hodgepodge of intermediaries like banks and custodians and agent lawyers and bookkeepers and tax authorities. And a lot of it's uh, batched and so on. And so th that's kind of why in a pandemic, an ignorant consumer might reasonably think that they're they're never going to make toilet paper again, and and that I, I got to hoard it for a year. You know, enter blockchain. You know, and then, and as you know, the way that we think about this, Alex and I have described it in Blockchain Revolution, and also in my TED talk, it's the Internet of Value, where anything of value, any digital asset representing all this stuff, or all this information in a supply chain can be managed or transacted in a secure and private way. And where trust is achieved through cryptography and some clever code. So implement a supply chain based on blockchain. And just imagine, you know, what could happen when you have this high metabolism, we call it a shared network where there's a real-time uh, single version of the truth. And uh, you can have smart payments enabled by smart contracts in the network, uh, resulting in less conflict, less human intervention, fewer intermediaries, huh, fewer lawyers. And um, you can have real-time micropayments uh, made by things as they move through the network. Costs could be lower. A frightened consumer uh, wouldn't feel the need for hand sanitizer as he'd have transparency into the network and be confident that the goods are, are going to keep flowing. So, um, I mean, th this is really an extraordinary opportunity for supply chains overall. And in a pandemic, it can make a big difference. Now, that was kind of a long story around one of, of about 10 different opportunities that we're looking at on how blockchain could help us either avoid pandemics or manage them when they're underway. Right. And I think, you know, that's a great use case. I, there should be a blockchain-based app that will just allow us to see, you know, to, to see how much toilet paper is left in the supply chain, all of that. I think that would be great. But another good use case that I wanted to get your opinion on would be using a blockchain to ensure authentic COVID-19 test kits, because recently um, some fake coronavirus testing kits were seized at LAX airport. And I was just thinking, 
that's the perfect opportunity for blockchain to be used to ensure that these kits are real. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you said it well. Um, you know, you want to know the authenticity of something, whether it's a statement, uh, say, that the COVID virus uh, was created by Americans to disrupt the Chinese economy. Okay, where did that statement come from? Let's trace that back to its origins. Or you got a test kit here. Let's find out what's the provenance of that, where did it come from, how did it move through the supply chain, uh, who certified it, you know, uh, and so on. Anything where there's an opportunity like that is a really good one. You think about all the other um, stuff too, medical devices, hospital equipment, and so on. A, a really big one for us has to do with identity. And you know that I've written a lot, we've written a lot and talked a lot around the world about the, the problem of data today, that this is the new asset class. We as individuals create it, but it gets captured by these digital, feudal, conglomerates, if you like, that that, um, that that keep that data. And that means that we can't use it to plan our own health or our own life. We can't monetize it. And they're making all the money off all their, our data. We now have a bifurcation of wealth in society. It means our data isn't secure because they're all in central servers. There are two types of those things, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. And then our privacy is being undermined. And people say to me, well, Don, you know, privacy's dead. Get over it. What, what do you got to hide? This is stupidity. Privacy is the foundation of freedom, and all this data rep represents our identity. So we need to get it back so that we can manage our identities responsibly for ourselves. So part of our identity is our health record. So imagine if we each had our own health record that's sweeping up all this uh, health exhaust, you know, ultimately our real-time heart rate and our temperature. And, uh, you know, you you have a, uh, a, a test taken and the results of the test are, uh, are, are uh, come into your identity quickly. You take have an x-ray taken, your radiology report is in your identity before you leave the hospital. And you can do whatever you like with that. Now, one thing that most citizens would do is they would say, check the box here, can government authorities anonymize your health record and use appropriate parts of it, like, say, your temperature or other health conditions uh, that you have uh, for aggregate summary data or for planning? And, you know, if, if the entire population was using the identity, we would immediately real-time track not a sample of the people who have, um, you know, uh, a, a presumed case of COVID-19, we could have a real-time population. And that would be an extraordinary thing for the, to help us with early diagnosis, to help healthcare uh, uh, clinicians and practitioners and planners and government planners to be able to anticipate stuff and to start to get things prepared and to help flatten the curve. So, uh, and again, only blockchain can deliver that. You can't do that on a central server. Right, exactly. And that kind of leads me to my next question. You gave a keynote recently at Hyperledger Forum of 2020, 
And you discuss the promise of blockchain. And you just mentioned, you know, blockchain can do certain things that, you know, other technologies can't. So what is the promise of blockchain? Well, the way that we think about it is it's the internet of value, meaning for 40 years, and I've seen all this, we've had an internet of information. But if I send you some information, you know, an email, a PDF, a photo, I'm actually not sending you the information. I'm sending you a copy. Even with a website, I keep the original, and that works great for information. But when it comes to assets, things of value, like, say, money or securities or intellectual property or a contract or a medical record or a certification of a medical device, uh, the data in our identities or cultural assets like art or music or votes, votes and assets, something of value that belongs to somebody. When it comes to those, uh, sending a copy is not a good idea. You know, Rachel, you don't want someone copying your vote or your identity. And if I send you $1,000, it's important I don't still have the money. So cryptographers have called this the double spend problem for decades. And, and the way that we manage this problem is through intermediaries. Banks, governments, credit card companies, social media companies, transfer agents, you know, lawyers, accountants, um, uh, big uh, technology companies, governments perform all of the business and transaction logic for every type of commerce. They identify the parties, they, they identify the asset, they clear and settle transactions, they keep records. And overall, they've not They've done a pretty good job, but there are growing problems, very serious problems that we talk about in blockchain revolution. So what if there were not just an internet of information? What if there were an internet of value, some kind of vast global distributed ledger or anything of value from money to, to uh, a medical test could be stored, managed, transacted uh, in a secure and private way? And where trust was achieved, not by an intermediary, but, you know, by software and by uh, a distributed network. Well, that's what blockchain is. It's, we call it the trust protocol because it's the first native digital medium for trust. So the promise is unlimited, really. You know, this and it can enable us to transform a $50 trillion supply chain industry. It can enable us to remove 80% of the stupidity in the financial system, all the various uh, intermediaries and costs and delays and fraud and, and uh, you know, bad behavior and so on. It, it could enable us to, to re-architect the corporation, to change the, the deep structure and architecture of the firm and in doing so, to, to change the way we orchestrate capability in society, to innovate, to create goods and services, where companies become more decentralized and, and they look more like networks. And the, this is, creates extraordinary opportunities for value creation. So it could enable us too, and I can keep talking here for about 10 hours, uh, <laughs> you know, to change to solve some of the most intractable problems on the planet, climate change. You know, we, we, 
imagine if we tokenize carbon credits. This is what I'm doing, full disclosure, uh, with a company I co-founded called CarbonX.ca. And our goal is to change the behavior of billions of people. So you'll buy that carbon-neutral espresso machine because it comes with CarbonX tokens that are supercharged loyalty points. You can turn into money or you can do all kinds of things with them. So, you know, that's the promise. Now, on the other hand, it's, it's not technology that solves problems. It's really people. But the, the way we described it in the book, and this is the opening sentence, something to the effect of once again, the technology genius escaped from the, the bottle. And it was summoned by an anonymous person at this uncertain time in human history. And it's not going to solve our problems, but it gives us another kick at the can, um, you know, compared to the old Internet of Information. Another kick at the can to rewrite the economic power grid and the old order of things. So I'm pretty upbeat about the possibilities here, but this doesn't mean that it will happen. You know, it's it's humans that have to make things happen. Right, and I mean you know, that's the promise and that's what we want with blockchain. In your opinion, what is the reality of blockchain today? Well, this is a funny thing, you know, and people are in the space have a lot of cognitive dissonance because on the one hand, you see, you know, some analysts at Gartner saying blockchain's nothing. It's just an add-on to ERP or CRM. And on the other hand, you see, you know, these massive implementations in in the 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 food industry and shipping and uh, oil uh, upstream oil and gas is um, about to be completely transformed by this technology you've got big stuff happening and supply chains and venture capital is being thrown on its head and all trade finance is moving to blockchain then you got some rather large organizations embracing this technology like say China China is a rather large organization. And Xi Jinping, the president, says blockchain and AI are the two technologies for the next decades for building an innovation economy in our country. And they're moving quickly to implement a digital currency based on blockchain, the DCEP, a fiat currency, not a community-based currency like Bitcoin or a corporate currency like Libra an actual state currency that would be digital cash. So the reality is, and we've, we've got 110 projects going on here, that um, there, there's a lot of big stuff going on, but in some areas, and this is what confuses people, it's moving more slowly than many people had thought. You know, the music industry, I was kind of hoping, because I'm a musician, I'm in a band, and so um, I was kind of hoping that, that this technology would f- unfold the way Imogen Heap describes it, where she puts her song on a blockchain platform, the song's inside a smart contract, and the contract specifies the intellectual property rights. So you want to put the song in the movie, the song says to the movie producer, well, what's it going to be? Background ringtone, you know, somebody going to sing it. It's going to be a theme song. She describes it as my song acts as a business protecting me. 
How amazing would that be? Because right now, songwriters are getting screwed because the Internet of Information broke our intellectual property rights around cultural assets like music. So if you're a songwriter 35 years ago, you wrote a hit song, you'd make 46,000 US dollars. For a platinum song today, it's 35 bucks for the equivalent right. song. So, but, but the problem is the whole, all the labels are, are resisting this. They don't want to do this. So that one's going to take a long time. Now, on the other hand, uh, good news is on that one, 90% of the music in the world will be created in the next decade. So we could be moving now towards a new platform. So overall, I gave the Hypernet uh, or Hyperledger Summit, I gave a keynote there. And I said, the way I would describe it is uneven and combined development. It's uneven. Music kind of stalled. Um, the banks, many got enthusiastic about this stuff and then realized they're going to disrupt their existing business model and revenue flow. So they backed off in some areas. It's uneven, land titles. I thought that'd be a killer, but takes a while to get a valid land title. That's the problem. It's not the technology. On the other hand, things can come together in a combined way, uneven and combined development, where you see these combinations of various players and ecosystems that rapidly come together and start to transform a whole industry. But, um, you know, if I may, uh, I have kind of a unique position to be able to make these kinds of judgments because I've seen this now several times over the last four decades where you get a new technology, there's a lot of excitement, then, you know, the realities of making it happen settle in. You know, I, I explained to the Hyperledger form, 1999, I gave over a hundred speeches and some of them I was getting a couple hundred thousand dollars for a 20 minute speech. Um, in 2001, I gave four speeches. Nobody wanted to talk to me. They didn't want to hear anything about the internet because the dot coms crashed. And when crypto crashed in 2008, it's kind of crashing again. They caused some cynicism with COVID people, you know, they, 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 they get blinded. But uh, it was Mark Andreessen who said really interestingly that most of those dot-coms from 1999 went under. Most of them did. If they're around today, they, they could probably succeed. You know, nobody wanted to buy pet food online in 1999. And today, everybody buys pet food online. So same thing with blockchain. You know, the old saw, uh, everybody's talking about it. Nobody's doing anything about it. That was like five years ago when we wrote Blockchain Revolution. Well, today, in some ways, almost everybody's doing something about it, but nobody's talking about it. So don't be blinded by, by, by one, you know, rogue Gartner analyst who uh, is not capable of seeing a bigger picture here. Right. I think that's really great advice. Um, you also mentioned something interesting about cryptocurrencies and how Bitcoin is kind of crashing right now. Can you kind of elaborate on that? I mean, do you have any advice for people, you know, who have Bitcoin or what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, when it talks to investing and in currency and stuff, Alex uh, Tapscott 
is really the guy. In fact, but neither of us make recommendations about cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. what to buy and what not to buy. But I will say that it that the, we we think of these as in three very broad categories. They're the community-based self-organizing currencies like Bitcoin. And, you know, as Alex says, the amazing thing about Bitcoin is that it works. And right now it's kind of being brought down because, you know, a lot of people are selling all their assets to cover their margin accounts, and that includes crypto. And uh, it's just general fear in the market. But mm-hmm. but in theory, um, it should be a, a, a better store of value than, say, the tr- traditional stock market. It's, of course, it's more volatile, although stocks these days, <laughs> who knows? Mm-hmm. But and it, it's also, uh, you know, the, these technology uh, currencies are also a helpful medium of exchange. And, um, you know, if you're stuck in some country where you can't move uh, money out, Venezuela or something like that, they may be helpful. Now, that's not to confuse Bitcoin with all of the other digital assets that are listed on, you know, the the crypto uh, marketplace, because a lot of them aren't really currencies. You know, I wouldn't view Ether as a currency or a Cosmos Atoms, which, uh, full disclosure, I own both. But um, as, as, a, as a currency, they're more, they're, 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 they're a different thing. I mean, Ether is a, a tool to enable smart contracts to make, and Adam is a whole other class. But um, anyway, you got those. Then you've got the corporate currencies, and Libra sort of really got that party started. And if it could succeed, and that's a big if, um, you know, because a lot of powerful forces are fighting against that, and Facebook's reputation doesn't help. Uh, but if they could succeed, they'd become the largest retail bank in the world by an order of magnitude. Um, and they, they could solve some really big problems, financial inclusion. There's a billion people who don't have a bank account, but they have a Facebook account, probably close to that. And they have a supercomputer in their pocket. So, um, I mean, we could bring financial services to large numbers of people, and that would be a good thing. It's one thing. Mm-hmm. And you can bet that there are other companies looking at this too. There's no way Jeff Bezos is going to let people be buying books on Amazon using Libra. Right. Um, but then the 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 most powerful one of all probably is the, is the state based cryptocurrency. So China's announced its currency, and then you, you know where they're going with that. They want to roll it out across Southeast Asia, up the. Um, Belt and Road all the way into Europe, throughout Africa, they become the currency of record, replacing the U.S. dollar. So you got the U.S. Fed freaking out. Um, and uh, meanwhile, Mark Carney is calling for, the head of the Bank of England is calling for a global synthetic hegemonic currency. Uh, this is what uh, Keynes wanted at Bretton Woods in 1944. And, you know, where all these national fiat currencies roll up, uh, the, uh, in Europe, the EU is working hard on a digital euro. So this is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it could be a really good thing. Sure, this could provide totalitarian governments with a, a, a more effective tool for spying on their citizens, but it all could also help stimulate the global economy. It could bring a lot of transparency. You could have a lighter touch on regulation, all kinds of good stuff. 
So we spent a lot of time on this. And Alex's new book gets into this big time. Uh, it's called The Financial Services Revolution. Gorgeous book. It's a brilliant analysis of all this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm going to read that soon. I'm excited for that. I'm still working on the blockchain revolution book, which I have. So that the financial revolutions, financial services revolutions, is up next. Good. We got the new edition of Blockchain Revolution. In um, in the U.S., it's a paperback with the yellow band across the top, and it has a new forward by us talking about many of these new issues. Oh, okay, good to know. So, Don, it seems like you know, you, in my opinion, and I got into blockchain in 2017, and that's when I really started paying attention to enterprise blockchain. But I know I spoke with Alex about this. I guess you guys started writing Blockchain Revolution in 2015? Yeah, around then, I think. Yeah. Okay. So it seems like both you and Alex can almost predict the blockchain future. I know you don't like to be called a futurist, but people call you a futurist. But anyways, what do you see happening next in blockchain? Is it supply chain management? Is it, you know, securities? Like, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, again, uneven and combined development. But there's stuff going on in every one of these areas that I talked about. I think that overall, the the virus is kind of a shock to the system, but sometimes these shocks cause us to think about many fundamental things. And if anything, it's shown the need for to know the truth. Uh, it's shown the need for, to, to make big changes to our healthcare system um, and, and our healthcare records. I think it'll stimulate the interest in a self-sovereign identity, which is the holy grail of blockchain. So we're going to, at the Blockchain Research Institute, um, we'll be tracking all of this. And by the way, um, the, you have to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to join. But after this uh, material has been uh, proprietary to our members for six to 12 months, we release it to the public under a Creative Commons license. So right now, there, there's around $5 million worth of research that's free and that people can go there and get it. You just go to blockchainresearchinstitute.org and you can get access to all this stuff. Great. Well, that's very good to know. And I'm sure our listeners are, uh, you know, appreciate knowing that. Um, Don, is there anything else that you want to add before we end the interview? Any final thoughts? Let me... Um, just give you uh, some suggestions on very specific things that you can do um, to better understand all this and to move forward. And there are things that we're involved in. There's lots of other things you could do too. Like everybody should just get a Google alert on the word blockchain. And every day <laughs> your mind will be boggled. I get the new edition of Blockchain Revolution. Uh, pick up the Financial Services Revolution if you're interested. Go to Coursera and you can get uh, a, a week free tuition. And uh, we have a, a discount on right now because a lot of people are stuck in their houses and uh, they're interested in taking a course. These are the premier courses about blockchain and business and for the enterprise. And it's Coursera in, part in partnership with INSEAD, I-N-S-E-A-D. Uh, come to our site and get all the free research, blockchain research institute.org. Uh, 
Uh, we hope you'll register for a big event in October in Toronto, and that's where we're doing the Enterprise uh, Blockchain Awards. And um, yeah, if you haven't seen my TED Talk, I think it's uh, <laughs> what did uh, Austin Powers say in uh, Dr. Evil, that one million people, no, 100 billion people have seen that. <laughs> a lot of people have seen that thing and find it interesting. It's four and a half million on TED.com alone. So that's a good way of getting uh, oriented too. And then um, in a week, we are launching a series of weekly webinars as we move towards a more digital model. The first one up uh, will be about pandemics and blockchain. So you can learn more about that at blockchainresearchinstitute.org or .com. Great. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to have plenty to do now that they know all about you know, where they can go to learn more about enterprise blockchain. So that's wonderful. And I'm really excited as well because I'm stuck at home. And I think that one of the best things we can do besides in-home workouts and jogs outside with, you know, keeping a distance from other runners is is learning. I mean, this is the perfect time for that and to, to start writing a book even. So I think that these are all great suggestions. Terrific. Well, nice to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Don. Okay. Talk soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find further information in the show notes to learn more about Don and the Blockchain Research Institute. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the CryptoChip Podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, if you have time, please leave me a review. I enjoy hearing your feedback. You can reach out to me on Twitter at RachelWolf00, on LinkedIn, or on Instagram at Blockchain and Bikinis. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time.